You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. And uh, you can go ahead and be turning your Bible over to Acts 17. Uh, the lesson uh, today it will be in the app. If you don't have the South Bay app, there's how to get it. Hopefully you have it by now. If you're a guest today, uh, that's how you can get onto the Wi-Fi and uh, get, get that app. Uh, make sure you also, I've heard from some people that uh, they didn't realize that it doesn't save the notes on the app. So you take all these notes and then they're gone. So you have to email them to yourself and then they'll be there. So they'll be in your email. So there's a little place at the beginning where you can email those notes to yourself. So anyway, Happy New Year. If you didn't know, this is something the singles are doing on New Year's Eve. If you're a single, uh, all the singles in the LA Church will be doing that. So uh, take note of that. But uh, I can't believe it's the new year. Can you guys? It's like, what happened to 2018? It's already... The new year. And uh, different people have different kinds of uh, thoughts about New Year's. Some people absolutely love it. It's like, yes, I, I'm going to clean out my closet and I'm going to go back to the gym and I'm going to work on myself and I have all these goals and things I want to do differently next year. And some people are just like, I just want to stay in Christmas mode and just give me more eggnog and, you know, don't talk about the new year. You know, so wherever, wherever you are, whether you like it or not, the new year is coming. And, uh, you know, as we are thinking about the new year, I was thinking about myself and what I wanted to do differently uh, next year. And uh, one of the things I really want to change or want to grow in is, is being more effective in reaching the lost, reaching people for Christ, uh, getting people into the Bible and helping others become Christians. I want to be more effective in my mission. And, um, you know, we have lived in the same neighborhood for uh, about 15 years, over 15 years. And in that time, our neighborhood has, has changed a little bit in its kind of dem demographics. And uh, it's become more multicultural. There's more people from a Muslim background or a Hindi background or a Buddhist background or just not Christian related at all or not, you know, it's, it's more difficult. I'm finding it's more difficult to reach out to people in my neighborhood. I, you know, we'll have people over, uh, talk to the neighbors. Um, you know, we've had people over for dinner. We host neighborhood parties. But it's hard to get beyond just kind of that first sort of friendship level and try to get them to come to church or get them to into the Bible. You know what I mean? Like if somebody has sort of a, a Christian background, but they're not really following God or not really following the Bible, that's so many people have, have been like that in the past that I've reached out to where, yeah, they, they love God, but they just have never read the Bible or they don't really know what it means to be a Christian biblically. And so, you know, you invite them to church and uh, try to... Uh, show them what the scriptures really say about Christianity. Uh, so many people that even are professing Christians have never read the Bible. But, but it's a whole different approach when they don't have any kind of background with, with Jesus. Or, you know, there's no sort of starting point. It's, it's kind of like, how do I get to the next point, you know? And uh, I've been finding myself having a, a more difficult time, and I want to learn how to, to do better with it. Because, and that's, this is something for all of us, because our world has changed, you know, in the last... A uh, couple, uh, couple decades, really, our, our, our culture has changed. It's become much more diverse. Um, there's a quote from Harold Netland. 
says secularization, globalization, and the sweeping demographic changes brought about by immigration have produced an unprecedented degree of diversity in North America. And so we all, you know, we got to kind of figure out how can we be more effective as ambassadors for Christ. And if you're here today, you're probably, you know, a a professing Christian or you probably want to know God better uh, and you want to be used by him to help other people know God better. Uh, You might be here today, have no Christian background. And and so you can just kind of, this is an inside scoop into what we're trying to do to help the world. Right. Uh, And we'd love to help you know the Bible better. But for those of us who claim to be Christians, you know, we got to ask ourselves, what kind of me does God want for his mission? You might, it's been said, what kind of mission does God have for me? But it's better to ask, what kind of me does God want for his mission? You know, how can I be used by God? And collectively, what kind of we does God want for his mission? What does God want to do with us? And we're going to be looking today at a story from the book of Acts about Paul and how he was just such an expert in reaching different kinds of people with the gospel. The, the title of the lesson is We Are His Offspring. We're going to be looking at, uh, at Acts 17, where Paul is in, Berea, in, uh, in Athens after he'd gone to Thessalonica and Berea. And uh, it, it's, I think it's something that can really, we can all learn from because the world of the first century was so much like the world of today in terms of diversity and different kinds of beliefs. So let's pray and then we'll open the Bible and look at... Uh, Acts 17. Bow with me and let's pray. God, thank you for uh, the amazing privilege it is to open your word. Uh, Thank you that we can have it on our phones or on our uh, computers or in our laps and uh, paper Bibles, but just that the Bible is so readily available. I know there's still people today who are not able to get access to your word. I know we've heard even recently stories about people in the Middle East who uh, we're just so desperate to get to even read the Bible. And thank you that we could open it here together today. I pray that we can learn from Paul and uh, from uh, his interaction with the Athenians. And we could grow in our effectiveness next year as a church in reaching people of diverse backgrounds. And uh, being able to balance uh, having uh, respect for people from different cultures, but also not at all being uh, watering down the truth and being uh, strong in what you know, the Bible says and what Jesus says. and Just help us to know that balance. And I uh, pray we could all learn from you and learn from your scriptures today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So uh, Paul is in Athens. This is a picture of modern day Athens. And where he is in this story is the Areopagus, which is this area right on this hill here looking out over the city. This is obviously modern day Athens. But you can still see the Parthenon is still there, which was this kind of temple to the different Greek gods, and there was a lot of different temples around. The Areopagus wasn't, uh, there wasn't really a structure there. It was just this open uh, kind of rock uh, ground, but there there would be meetings there uh, where they would discuss different philosophies and different thoughts. And uh, um, so that's kind of the setting of the story to kind of give you a little bit of background of the book of Acts and where we are in the overall story. Um, If you're visiting with us, we're doing this series called Spirit-Filled People, uh, where we're just going through different stories in the book of Acts. We've been been covering this over several months. There's so many different stories in the book of Acts. Uh, we're going to have to sort of wrap it up because we're moving into some other things in the new year, but we're, we're going to kind of finish it out today and next uh, next week talking about Paul. 
And uh, Paul is definitely the most significant character in the book of Acts. Uh, a lot of the story of Acts is kind of leading up to Paul and his conversion in Acts 9. And Paul was this uh, a Jew, uh, a super educated Jew, like a Jew of Jews. He was educated by Gamaliel, who was one of the top Jewish preachers of uh, Jewish rabbis of the time. And uh, raised in Jerusalem, although he was from uh, a, a city I'll show you here on this map. Uh, Paul was from Tarsus up here, but he uh, was raised down here in Jerusalem, a student of Gamaliel. And as the Christian movement was building, Paul uh, didn't believe it at first. In fact, he was one of the strongest persecutors of the church. And uh, because to, to understand uh, who Jesus is as the Messiah requires kind of a, a new and fresh look at the Old Testament. If you just read the Old Testament at face value, it seems like God is going to send a Messiah who is a conquering uh, general, who has armies and who conquers the other armies of the world and, 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 uh, and, and builds an empire, a physical empire on earth. That's kind of what the Jews were expecting their Messiah to be. This person who was like David, who was a warrior. And yet Jesus comes and he is, you know, a carpenter's son from a small town, you know, a family nobody knows. And yet he still fulfills all of these prophecies in the Old Testament. He was born in Bethlehem, which was a prophecy about the Messiah. Uh, he was called a Nazarene, which was a prophecy about the Messiah. He, uh, his, his mentality and his approach was all fulfilled. And then especially in his death and resurrection, he fulfilled all these things. But it required... Uh, you know, your eyes to be opened. You know, in, in, in the end of Luke, Paul, it says that Jesus opened the eyes of his followers so they could understand the scriptures. And then when you look back, uh, when they kind of read backwards the Old Testament, then they saw all of these scriptures fulfilled by Jesus. But Paul needed his thinking changed in order to get that. And so he was, a, he was actually arresting Christians and, and putting them on trial and putting them in prison and putting them to death. He was standing there, it says, watching the cloaks of people who were stoning Stephen, the first Christian martyr uh, in, in Acts 7. So Paul was very much against the church, but then we see an awesome conversion in Acts 9. We might talk about that a little bit more next week. And so then he goes on his journey. Uh, he's in Jerusalem. He, goes to, he, he was on his way to Damascus <coughs> Excuse me. when he saw the vision. But he ends up going on a missionary journey him from, from Antioch, which is kind of his home base. And he and uh, uh, Barnabas go to, go to Cyprus, and then they go to these cities here in Galatia and start churches. And then they return to Jerusalem for the Jerusalem Council in, in Acts 15. And then after that, he and Barnabas have a difference of opinion. Uh, Steve has preached about this before, about this other guy, John Mark, and Barnabas thinks they should take him and Paul thinks they shouldn't because John Mark had deserted them. And so they part ways and instead Paul takes a guy named Silas who is a Greek and then, and then he gets Timothy who's a young guy and then they go on another missionary journey. So in Acts 17 where we're going to pick up, they had been over here in Pergamum. Paul saw this vision uh, of, a, of a man from Macedonia. This is Macedonia, this is Greece saying, come preach to us the gospel. So Paul, in response to this vision, goes over to Philippi, and uh, the, that's where the jailer becomes a Christian. And, and uh, if you remember that story, we did that in house church some of us last week. And then he goes to Thessalonica and Berea, and he faces a lot of opposition there from, from Jews who are coming behind him saying, no, 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 this guy is not teaching the truth about the Messiah, uh, and you have to be a Jew in order to be one of God's people. And you, you can't just be a Gentile and be grafted into the fellowship uh and so there's there's contention so paul ends up going to athens all by himself 
And so he's there in Athens waiting for Silas and Timothy to come where we pick up the story here in Acts 17, verse 16. Everybody there? All right, so Acts 17, verse 16. says, While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. That gives you a little clue to what his main message was, right? Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus where they said to him, May we know this new teaching that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears. And we would like to know what they mean. So again, the Athenians were not familiar at all with Jesus or resurrection or any of these things that, that Paul was talking about. They're, they're coming from a different perspective. Verse 21, All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. You might know coffee shops like that, where guys just like to get together and talk about whatever's going on politically and stuff. It says, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing that you worship. This I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not that far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He's given proof to this, proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysus, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. Okay, so that's the story. Again, uh, we're, we're right here. At this, this is where the Areopagus meeting took place. And we're going to talk about three things we see in the character of Paul that will help us to be the kind of me that God wants for his mission. Number one, we see that he's distressed over the idolatry that's there. In, in the city. Uh, number two, we, we see that he's going to find common ground with the Athenians in terms of kind of their culture and, and their background. And number three, we're going to see that he still has deep conviction about the truth. Because this is a place, again, where there's all these competing ideas for, 
for, uh, you know, what is the true nature of reality and, and, and what is man's purpose in life? And there's all kinds of different competing thoughts about this here in Athens. That's a lot like our world today. We live in a postmodern society where there's all kinds of different uh, views. And, and different thinkers of our society have, have told us, like, for example, Nietzsche uh, said that you can't even speak about right or wrong anymore because everything is relative. All that matters is personal choice. Or Immanuel Kant said you can never really know what's true anyway because everything is, is only experienced through your senses. So there isn't any real objective reality. There isn't any real truth. And we see these kinds of things of permeating our culture, right? Where, where now it's kind of like people put kind of equal value in uh, maybe some, some scientific theorem and then like astrology or crystals or you know what I mean like it's just kind of all up in the air and you kind of grab what what you like that's sort of the the culture that we're in that's what our college campuses are like it's sort of this this big amalgamation of all these different thoughts and you just kind of pick what you like and, and that's your truth right live your truth that's kind of the the saying today right it's very much how it was there in in Athens and yet uh and, and there's even Christian movements that are saying yeah we should just sort of sort of like accept everything and, and it's all sort of equally true and you you know you see the coexist sticker and can't we just all we can all believe what we want to believe and it's all okay as long as you know you do your truth as long as you live your truth that's kind of the the world we're in right now and yet uh Doug Jacoby says this the pretense that contradictory truths are equally true is nonsensical <laughs> that sounds like Doug Jacoby if you know him no, you can't have competing truths be equally true if they contradict each other. And so Paul is distressed by the idolatry around him because he knows it's not true. He knows it's not based in reality. He knows these gods are not real gods that he sees all around them. He knows that these people are worshiping something other than the one true God who created the world and created the whole universe. And so it causes an emotional reaction in him. He's distressed about it. And so as followers of Jesus, like Paul, we should be distressed by all these things around us that are not of God or that are against God. It should cause us to want to make a difference, want to do something. It says Paul, when he was distressed by this idolatry, he went and he reasoned in the synagogue. Uh, he, he takes this ap approach of trying to help people to understand the truth. Um, you know, here in the South Bay Church, we... We, we're here because we believe in that Jesus really rose from the dead. And we believe that the Bible is a testimony to who he is and, and his, his work in the world. And it is true. There is objective truth in the world. But we, that, that should cause us to do something about it. You know, we're not just here to, uh, you know, be, we're here to be a family. We're here to be friends with one another. But we're also here to have, we have a mission to save the lost world. And if we aren't saving souls, if we aren't growing, then we're dying as a church. And so... You know, our church, we, we need to do better as a, as a collective body at reaching the lost around us. And so we all got to be thinking about how can we, how can we, how can we be motivated by, by the, the lostness around us? Instead of just kind of folding in, Paul didn't fold inward, he got outward. And he was reasoning in the synagogues and he was doing something about it. He was distressed by the idolatry. Uh, you know, the, 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 the L.A. community that we live in, if you think about you know, Athens, and you think about our community, it is like Athens, a very idolatrous community. You don't see gods of stone like you did in, in, uh, in Athens. And these, just by the way, this is uh, kind of a recreation of, let me go back. 
uh, of what it was, it was like. They, they, we think of the, it being like this, you know, white marble, but that's because the paint has worn off. And so more recent uh, archaeology has shown there, there, there's little bits of paint on these uh, things. And so they once were painted uh, really dramatic colors and were very lifelike. Uh, so that Areopagus we saw earlier with the fresco, this is part of that fresco. It was very brightly painted. And so the Athenians saw all these gods. They weren't, um, they weren't, they were kind of like humans, but, but, but uh, more dramatic. And, and so the way that they thought about their gods was very similar to the way that we think about our celebrities. Uh, they were, they were, uh, you know, followed, they were worshiped, uh, they, they, they were really into what they were doing. And, uh, and so LA is very, very full of idolatry, much like, uh, Athenians were, what the, the city of Athens was, but it's, it's kind of our modern take on idolatry. You know, we worship the gods of, of money. We worship the gods of success. We worship the gods of celebrity. And if we're not careful, we can be sucked into all that living in this culture. We can be sucked into the world of the internet and the world of Instagram and the world of Netflix and, you know, all this stuff, all those things aren't wrong in and of themselves, but if they become idolatrous, then it becomes wrong. Um, and, uh, what, what, what hap- has happened in the modern church is, uh, so many of, of the churches in America have become so focused on their own comfort. And, uh, this, there's a quote from David Platt who says, we seem to have turned the church as a troop carrier into the church as a luxury liner. We seem to have organized ourselves not to engage in a battle for the souls of people around the world, but to indulge ourselves in the peaceful comforts of the world. And he tells the story of this, uh, this uh, big ship that was made in 1952. It's called the SS United States. And at the end of World War II, they said, we want to make the best uh, ship for carrying troops. And so they went to work building this ship. And the ship was designed where it could carry 15,000 troops the ss united states and yet the world the war ended and the the ship ended up being used as a luxury liner and as a luxury liner it could only carry 2000 people uh who were de- devoted to their own comfort rather than 15000 troops who were devoted to a mission and so david platt uses that an analogy to say that you know the church has got to be about a mission and a purpose and we're in a battlefield not just you know on a luxury liner after our own comfort. And so, you know, we, we, it should cause us some distress in a, in a real way that there's idolatry all around us. We've got to do something about it. Paul was motivated. He was focused. He was driven. He was engaged. Uh, he was affected emotionally by the uh, idolatry all around him. But he found, he found common ground with these people, even in spite of his own distress about idolatry. Look what he says in verse 22. He says, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. See, Paul, even though he knew idolatry was so wrong, and as, as an educated Jew, passionate as he was about the faith, idolatry must have really, really affected him, you know, in terms of how wrong it was. And yet, look, look at his approach. He doesn't blast the Athenians. He says, hey, you guys are really religious. Look at all these gods you have. And so he contextualizes the gospel, but not in a way that it's going to water down the gospels we're going to see. But he's trying to find some kind of common ground with the people he's speaking with. Uh, contextualizing is to, to get, look for 
questions people have, give them biblical answers in language that they understand. It's going, okay, how can I reach this person in, in, in their worldview? What do we have in common? What's the common ground here? And Paul finds worship being a common ground. They're worshiping idols. I worship God, but I'm still going to use it as a bridge. Isn't that amazing? That, that even though he's talking about their idolatry, he's speaking in a way that is respectful, isn't he? And he's trying to see, well, what, what do they value in their culture and how can I speak to their, their worldview? Um, Ken Chow, who's a good friend of mine, a lot of you guys know Ken. Uh, we've been taking classes together at Pepperdine. And uh, he was a foreign missionary for 18 years. And so he served in places uh, where there, Jesus was not known at all. You know, he served in, in uh, uh, places like Vietnam, Thailand, Japan, and the Philippines. And uh, he said that the first step uh, is, is getting to, to, to know people's view. and what, what they, How do they view the world? Like just building a friendship and kind of knowing how do, what do they value. And it says here that Paul walked around and looked carefully at all the objects of worship. You know, before he, he even spoke to them, he, he first spent some time in their world and, and kind of go, what, what is this? What, what, what do they value? What do they appreciate? What is their view like? And so we got to be willing to do that with our neighbors and friends and coworkers and, and uh, fellow students. You know, kind of what do they value? What, what is li life like in their shoes? Because that's got to be the first step. So then we can give them answers that the Bible has. And, and Ken says that when you really talk to people and you really ask questions of those from other religions, you will always find something is missing. You will always find something is missing. And Ken says he himself grew up a Buddhist and yet something was really missing. And so you give Bible answers to these questions that they already have, and you fill in the blanks of what they're missing. And so that's exactly what Paul does here. Look in verse 23. He says, you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. This is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. So he starts with their context, their culture, their frame of reference, their definition of worship, but then he completes it with true God. He's the one that really made the whole world. He's the one that really, uh, you know, is to be served. And he doesn't even need these temples that you guys built. He doesn't even need all of this kind of stuff that you construct because here's who he really is. So he, he begins with their view and, he, and then he brings them into who God really is. And, and he, his approach applies to everybody. He says, uh, God is not far from any one of us in verse 27. And so he's willing to, to, to kind of find common ground with them. And, and here's what's amazing too. He doesn't quote a single verse in the Old Testament, does he? There was no New Testament, so he couldn't quote the New Testament. But he, even though he knew the, he had the Old Testament memorized, huge passages of them. And you see in his other uh, sermons to Jewish people, he quoted lots and lots and lots of scripture. Here he doesn't even quote a single verse. Why? Because that, they didn't know the Bible. That wasn't their worldview. And so what does he quote? He says, we are his offspring. That's the title of our lesson today. We are his offspring. Uh, verse 28, in him we live and move and have our, our being. Who is he quoting? He's quoting their own Poets, he says, their own philosophers. Here he's quoting these guys, Epimenides and Eratus. He has two quotes there from their, uh, their philosophers. Isn't that interesting? 
that Paul is using their own language, their own culture, their, the things that they value to point to truth. Uh, there's, a, there's a guy named uh, Leslie Newbegin who's a, a missiologist. He studies uh, different um, cultures and stuff. And he says that uh, the gospel has the power to penetrate every culture and to speak within each culture. In other words, God's truth is so powerful that it's found in every culture, but then you got to complete it with the revealed truth of Scripture, right? But there is truth found in every culture, in every language, even in, in, in local, you know, even in secular, quote-unquote, uh, um, places. So Paul is using their poets to point to a scriptural truth. That's a big thing. You understand that? I think sometimes we can be like, oh, no, I... I you know, how wrong of, I've even heard people say how wrong of us to, to use a secular song on a Sunday or uh, how wrong of us to use a movie reference or, you know, we're, we're letting the world's values affect the church or, uh, you, know, we're, we, you know, we're letting the, we're conforming to the world instead of the world conforming to us. And I appreciate where that's coming from because we want to pure, we want to hold strongly to the truth and amen. But we still, communication is not good communication if it's not received on the other end. Uh, for those of you who are married, that's a good one, you know? <laughs> you might think you're speaking incredibly clearly. But a real valuable question is, what, what do you hear me saying? Or what did you hear me say? Because it only, the communication is only as valid as the person who receives it, what they receive. And so if we're trying to help people know God, and we're using our own language or our own worldview, and it's so foreign to them, we're never going to get there. So we got to be willing to take that step of going, okay, what do they value? What did they, what, what's their worldview like? A, a parallel might be, uh, uh, might be helping, for, for the young people, this might be helping someone to know God through using Drake lyrics. Is that possible? I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there as a challenge. You know, could there be, I, I mean, I know there, there are, you know, I'm a little older, right? So, so for for me, you know, uh, you know, there there's there's lyrics, you know, from my generation that that show people searching for God, that show people like saying there's something missing. Uh, you know, there, there's a song, something's missing, and I don't know what it is. You know, so, so it's it's using using uh, people's language where they are, being able to, to to find common ground and connect with them. This means, just in a practical sense, that we've got to be able to be active in our community. We've got to be engaged with people who are not in the church. This is harder for me because I I work for the church and I'm around Christians all the time. So I got to really work to just get out in the community. So I'm I'm you know trying to play volleyball at the YMCA and you know meeting different people there. And there's one guy who's come to church a couple times with his family. And again, this is what I'm talking about. He's from a Muslim background. And so, you know, I talked to him about the church a little bit, but then we, you know, it's hard to get very far because, you know, it's just a different worldview. So I'm trying to figure out how can I get more into his, his way of thinking and, and get him into the church and, and, and find common ground. But, but uh, you know, some other things I've thought about doing is, is you know, L.A. is known for the arts and, uh, and, and, and arts communities. And so how can I use art and music to, to get out there into to our culture? Um, you know, I, I want to do more with art. I want to do more with music. Uh, we started a little songwriter get-together, and we had a couple visitors come to that. But I, I want to be consistent with that and try to reach people w- that are songwriters locally. Or, but, but how can I use what I've been given 
to, to get out there in the community. And I want to challenge you to think about that as you think about 2019. How can I be active in my community? Some of you might be on a job where you're meeting people all the time and you have lots of people you can share your faith with. Some of you might be in a kind of a small office with three other people and, and you know, that's your mission field. But then figure out how can you reach other people, you know, with the gospel? How can you be active in your community? Um, you know, a lot of you guys are great examples of this. You know, I appreciate uh, Pat and Holly Toomey. You know, they, we hung out with them right before Christmas and they had this big holiday party, you know, and, uh, that they were going to. They had a, a block party where they had their whole neighborhood over. And then they had another party where they, you know, Sid and Mariah's uh, party. And they had like 100 people in their home. And then they had another neighborhood party they were going to. Uh, they were kind of a little partied out, right, Holly? Holly's like shaking her head. <laughs> but I appreciate that. You know, and I've told Pat before, Pat, you're, you're interacting with these people that I could never interact with, you know, because, uh, you know, affluent business guys that, you know, I, I, I just, I don't have a, 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 a place that I can meet and interact with these powerful people that you can interact with and sh- hopefully share the gospel with. You know, Paul's, uh, um, I mean, uh, Pat has been like on the strand in Manhattan Beach in this one dude's house, you know, as he's smoking a joint and Pat's sharing his faith with him, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, that's awesome. Uh, you know, we've got to be able to, 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 to interact with people wherever they're at. Amen. All right, so down in, uh, in verse 29, it says, We should not think the divine being is like gold or silver or stone. In the past, God overlooked some ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. That's a strong statement, though. So he, he's talking their cultural worldview. He's using their own philosophers. But then look how strong he He makes a stand. He says, in the past, God allowed this ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Paul still has deep conviction about the truth. This is not just something for Jewish people. This is something for all people everywhere, Paul says. And so he stands in conviction about the judgment and resurrection to come. He unequivocally does not support this polytheistic kind of pluralistic ideology that all all these roads lead to heaven. Instead, he's advocating for repentance of all people everywhere. So he's he's contextualizing the gospel, but he's not over-contextualizing the gospel to where, oh, it's it's okay, all these different uh, ideas are fine. Um, There's this idea, you ever heard this thought that there's many, many roads up the mountain to heaven? You might have heard that before. You know, you can take this road, you can take this road, but you're all going to end up at the same place. The problem is when you study these different ideologies and you study these different uh, world religions, they all have completely different mountaintops. They don't have the same objectives. They don't have the same, uh, you know, accepted end result or, or what you're even trying to accomplish. And so there is only one way, only one truth, only one life, Jesus says in, in John 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Paul says in verse 31, He has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He's given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Paul stood firmly on the resurrection of Jesus. That's what gives Christianity uh, its uh, uh, its appeal and its uh, credibility is that here's a man who claimed to be God in the flesh and then rose from the dead. There's no other world religion that has anything like that. 
and so Paul is putting judgment in God's hands. He's not, it's a great balance because he's not just downing them. You're all going to go to hell and you're all completely off. But he's saying there is a judgment to come. And here's the proof. Jesus rose from the dead. So he's pointing to the truth, but in a, in a, in a respectful way of their culture. Does that make sense? And so the, I, I love this, this approach because this is what I want to model for my neighbors who, are, who have this whole different you know, way of looking at the world is what, what's the common ground I can find, but then still point them to Jesus and that Jesus really rose from the dead. Um, you know, Ken, Ken Chow, again, I, I shared about earlier, he said that was the most essential part of his work in Asian countries was helping people understand who the person of Jesus is helping people know who the person of Jesus is. And so that might be through, you know, modeling Jesus and saying this is how Jesus cares about the poor. These are the types of things Jesus says about how we should treat each other. Jesus' teachings work in real life. They work in marriage. They work in parenting. They work on your job. The things that Jesus said don't come naturally. Uh, if someone strikes you on one cheek, turn the other as well. Or pray for those who persecute you. Or, you know, bless and do not curse. And all these things Jesus said, they're hard to do. But when you live them out and then you share with people, I'm trying to do this because I'm trying to be like Jesus. Here's how I messed up because I wasn't like Jesus. And, you know, that, that, is a, that points people to that person of Jesus. And then ultimately you bring it to the resurrection. And that's what gives Jesus, uh, that's what shows it all to be true. He says, this is the proof. The proof is he rose from the dead. And so we, we, you know, we stand on that same, uh, the, the same conviction, the same deep convictions Paul had, that there really is a judge, uh, and there really is a, a time coming when everyone will be exposed. All deeds will be exposed. All, everything will be judged by uh, this God who made all things and who created all of us. But he says, it's not like I'm better than you. Paul's like, he says, we're all his offspring. Here's your own quote, we are his offspring. And so Paul says, we're all the same. I'm just, I've found this and I want you to understand it. I want you to come along and, and, and join with me in, in, in preparing yourself for this judgment to come and following this Jesus who rose from the dead. And, and this is for everyone and everywhere and every language and every culture and every background. The gospel is, has the power to, to impact every, every culture and every language and every, every person and, and every uh, man, woman, and child on earth. So together in, in South Bay Church, think about how you can uh, be a part of, of, of bringing this message to wherever your mission field is. And ask yourself, what is your mission field? You know, in your school, in your neighborhood, on your job, uh, the people you're around. How can you model the same thing Paul did? You know, that you're distressed by the idolatry and, and, and you're not just letting it go, but you're finding common ground with people knowing their worldview, knowing their language, speaking in a way that they can understand, and that, but then still having deep conviction about the truth, the judgment and the resurrection that is to come. We are his offspring. He's not far from any one of us. And uh, just to help us kind of remember this, uh, I want I wanna us to sing something together using some modern, this is not exactly modern culture, but uh, let's sing this together. You'll know the, you'll know the uh, tune. Are you ready? We are his offspring, my friend. We'll keep on preaching to the end of
South Bay Church. All right. All right, now we're going to have uh, our South Bay story of this week. If you're visiting with us, we've been uh, hearing different stories from our own fellowship about how people came to know God and stuff like that. So today we're going to hear from Jen Rusty. Come on up, Jen. Hand me a microphone. <laughs> Hi, y'all. <laughs> Good morning. Awesome. So Jen and uh, Sherwin are amazing. Her husband, Sherwin, are amazing servants of the church here. Do so many things behind the scenes, and uh, so I thought it'd be great to to get to know Jen a little bit better. And as I was thinking, I, I texted her. I was like, I don't even know how you became a Christian. So, so share with all of us uh, how did you become a Christian? How did you become part of a church? Which of the church? What's kind of the quick version? Awesome. Yeah, the brief version. <laughs> so um, I uh, came up, became a Christian almost twenty two years ago in the late nineties. At that time, I was uh, living with this guy. Uh, we had been together. Um, I want to say four years, and he he was a drug addict, and um, if you know anything about drug addiction, all that stuff, there's kind of some, a lot of drug addicts go through these hills and valleys in their life, so at that point in our life, we were in a, a high, we, he was doing well, everything was going well, and and we were living together, we had our own place, we weren't didn't have roommates, crazy roommates or whatever, we were at our own place, and I was working at the time, and my coworker was a very religious woman, and she had her own church that she went to and everything, and she just kept telling me, you're living in sin, you're living, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and we had talked about getting married, we had talked about starting a family, we, had, we were in that motion, and I really, in my heart, was like, if only I could get him to do this, X, Y, and Z, like he would fall in, it would, like the drugs, like, I was naive. I was in my early 20s, okay, mid-20s. So I was naive and thought, you know, if I could do, get him to do this, you know, he would fall in line and, you know, and, you know, he, he was a great guy, um, but he just, you know, he had addiction. So, um, so I was kind of, I didn't know how things worked, so I thought you had to be part of a church to get married in a church and all this stuff. So I was trying to find a church to go to, to go to, so I can get married in it. I don't know. <laughs> so I was kind of my thought. I don't know. So my friend actually had met a disciple on the bus. She used to take the bus to work, and she was like, re, you know, had the sister had reached out to her, and she said, "Well, I'm not interested, but my friend is." So, so my friend nice. brought me to our, you know, 401 Prospect, and um, I, my whole time, I was like oh, this is great for him, you know, this is going to be great for him, you know, and so we, we both, I came first one Sunday, and then he came the next time we went, and then I started sending the, you know, I was, a, we were both approached, but I studied the Bible right away, and, and got converted right away, and and I was kind of a wild girl, like, I, I didn't, I wasn't in drugs and all that, but I partied, and I was a bit, I was kind of rough around the edges a bit. Like I was that party girl, happy, fun. But at the same time, I'm like, don't mess with me, you know, and I was pretty rough and, and, um, cussed a lot, you know, all of that going on. So, and I, you know, I hung out with drug addicts and stuff. So you had to have a certain edge about you. So anyways, um, so, but, so when I studied the Bible, it was like, oh, are you, are you a Christian? Nope. Are you, are you, what happens if you were to die today, what would happen to you? Are you going to go to heaven? I'm like, no. You know, like I knew it. It was clear to me. So kind of halfway through the studies, and mind you, I studied from point A to point B. I got in the water like nine days. Like mm. it was quick. So when I halfway through it, I was like, no, this is for me. Like this isn't for him. Like it's for me, you know. 
and we went through the whole, and this was in the late nineties. The church was a different culture back then. There was, it was different. So we went through a whole thing where he moved out. He started living with, with brothers. I eventually moved in with sister. I mean, we did a very radical breakup, very radical. It was very radical back then, everything that we did. And I, at, you know, of course my whole time was like, oh, I wish he would just do this because it would totally change his life and all this mm-hmm. stuff. But then again, I had to be about for me, you know, so I got baptized. He actually, you know, got baptized about a month later and then, but didn't work out because it's, you know, it's not Sherwin. Obviously. <laughs> I'm not talking about Sherwin. So obviously, you know, things didn't work out on his end, but, but I'm still here 22 years later. I'm here. <laughs> so it's kind of not quasi quick, but there's more, to the, there's way more to the yeah, story. I'm sure but there's I'll more to the story. There. I have more questions, but we'll yeah. save it for later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I love how um, you said you were like a party girl girl and super you know crazy and all that but i love how you sort of translated that into like the christian crazy <laughs> the christian, the christian party or you know what i mean like you're just always so much fun uh you know sure <laughs> jennifer like for vbs like jennifer's like one of the main attractions for vbs you know what i mean like all the kids just love her because she's so much fun and so wild and crazy and it's awesome so I, I love it and uh so i know your mom became a christian a lot of us have have that dream of being able to help our parents become christians and uh, so how did that work out how did you reach out to your mom um you know it's funny people ask that and there's no like secret sauce to it all you know it's just i think god just moves hearts when he moves them and mm-hmm. And um, for my mom, I mean, she got baptized about eight months after I did. Mm -hmm. And um, I think a lot of it had to do with just the edges kind of softening the edges, Mm -hmm. you know, the cussing stopped the, I wasn't partying anymore. You know, she saw what my ex and I had gone through and saw how radical that was. And, and, you know, I was in this codependent relationship for like four years. So it was Mm -hmm. like, what changed like overnight that made you Mm -hmm. stop, you know? And, um, so I think it was just the power of God, like the power of the word and, you know, and Jesus and everything that just, you know, and I grew up Catholic. I grew up, you know, my mom was more Catholic than I was, you know, she went through all the the religious things Mm -hmm. and the sacraments and all that stuff. And I didn't go through all that. Um, but she had done all that. So she had this desire to always, um, go to church with her family, be with her family in church and all that. So, but, um, I think just seeing the changes yeah. was really what was impactful to her. You know, I don't recommend going that route. I don't remember being crazy and wild and then <laughs> changing. So your parents become Christians, but that's yeah. just kind of how it happened and how it went. So. Right. Right. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, Jen is, as I mentioned, she's our volunteer administrator, uh, does a lot of behind the scenes stuff. So maybe could you share with the group maybe a little bit of what that is? What, what is it that, that, uh, are you do some of the stuff that you do behind the scenes and then is, are, is there any need for other people to volunteer in, in your department? Sure, yeah, <laughs> if you want to make a plug, yeah. Yeah. plug in. I got a few plugs. I was um, so I, de- you know, Dessa has a huge job. She handles a whole region and, um, with administration. So in each sector, there's people that handle, you know, the count and, and the bookkeeping of all of our giving and stuff. So I'm that person for South Bay. Um, I handle that. I help, you know, I just help wherever Dessa tells me to do, I kind of do, you know. I'm like, come over and scrub my toilets. I'm like, sure, Dessa, here I come. You know, I was getting Jen's on that. That hasn't <laughs> happened. <laughs> but, um, no, that hasn't happened. But, um, but just whatever she asks, you know, I'll input the calendar uh, on CCB. I'll do the pledge sheets. So that's my first plug. If you haven't turned in your pledge sheet, please do so. I need the pledge sheets in and update all that on CCB and um, just handle like registration for events. You know, we have a great uh, little core team of us, Dessa and 
you know, Lisa Huerta and Sasha and all that stuff, always help with registration and all that stuff. And, and um, our account team too, I always, um, I have Christina and Sarah and Nalini, but I always kind of, I feel like I wear them out sometimes. So I kind of, that's kind of the need I think is just rotating through people to help count every Sunday, you know, cause we're always, I was just talking out front when I was out there and I said, yeah, I hadn't seen people in like three, over three months because I went from kids kingdom right into, we count, you know, right after service we'd count. So I wouldn't be in this area at all. Like I'd be back in room 14 or whatever the whole time. I was at church, so I didn't see people for like months, you know, but, um, so, you know, definitely is a sacrifice to, you know, give your time to, to volunteer and it's totally appreciated on every level. So, um, yeah, if you're, you know, we always need help with those things, like being part of the account team, helping with registration of events and things like that. So. Okay. So yeah, if you're interested in helping out, just see Jen, she'll, she'll let you know what it means. And, and... see me with your pledge sheet, please. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. So uh, as we take communion and remember Jesus's body and blood uh, given for us, uh, just one thing to think about is, is transformation and, and the power of Jesus to change lives, just as, as Jen shared her own life being changed and transformed by the blood of Jesus. Just remembering how much Jesus has transformed you and, uh, and how that power can, can help others to transform around you in ways that you might not, not even expect or, or ever imagine. Uh, so let's think about that as we uh, remember Jesus and his blood given for us. God, thank you so much to be able to uh, worship you today, to sing, sing songs to you, to pray to you, to read your word. Um, thank you for this time to remember your body and blood uh, and uh, to remember that what, what it cost on Calvary uh, for us to have forgiveness of all of our sins and to have a fresh start and to have a righteousness and when it comes to our relationship with God. And uh, thank you for this time to remember and reflect and uh, bless our time of meditation and remembrance. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.